Welcome to episode 163 of The Recovery Show. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During the show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. Joining me is Carrie. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic, Rediscovering Myself. Following a short break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about how we practice these principles in all our affairs. We will follow that with your email or voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing. I want to open with a reading. This is from one of our daily readers called Hope for Today, and this is August 28th. Before Al-Anon, I had a false sense of self. Because of their diseases, my alcoholic father and my mother who grew up in an alcoholic home couldn't see themselves clearly. They weren't able to help me, either. As I grew up, it seemed that my parents couldn't see me at all. I felt invisible and voiceless. I had no idea of my likes and dislikes, let alone what I would or would not accept in a relationship. I felt empty inside. Where there did seem to be something inside me, it felt like someone else's experience. Al-Anon changed all that. I heard suggestions such as keep the focus on yourself and take your own inventory instead of someone else's. These ideas perplexed me. Who was I? I didn't know myself. The person I knew was the teenager my mother considered a burden. My father criticized me incessantly. There had to be more to me than that. By working the steps, especially the first four, I came to know who I am. In step one, I experienced myself as someone who insanely tried to control alcoholism but couldn't. I came to know my powerlessness. In step two, I considered the existence of and possible help from a power my senses couldn't define. I came to know my God as I understand her. In step three, I experienced my yearning to trust that power who was greater than me. I came to know my surrendered self. And in step four, I experienced my ability to define myself rather than let others do the job. I came to know me. And the thought for today, and I love this, in Al-Anon, I can safely do the work of defining myself rather than allowing others to do the job. And, uh, I, you know, that, that reading doesn't describe my experience precisely, but it, it does describe a lot of my feelings. Uh, I remember that for much of my life, my least favorite question, because I couldn't answer it, was what is your favorite something or other? Hmm. You know, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite ice cream? I don't know! <laughs> um, and and so that's been a that's been a journey for me trying to figure out what is my answer to that question. Um, do you have um, any any um, things that that reading brings up for you? Yeah, my story is a little different than what was shared, but yeah, really, I just feel like I've as long as I can remember, I've had trouble distinguishing myself from other people. Where do I? 
begin and end and where do they begin and end and identifying what I like or what I want feels very foreign to me for sure. We decided to title this episode Rediscovering Myself because you wrote to me and and talked a little bit about how you'd been finding yourself or refinding yourself um, as you're working your program. But I want to start at the beginning like we usually do, which is looking at at the different ways in which uh, we might have lost ourselves. Maybe we never were found or maybe we, we had something and we lost it in trying to deal with an alcoholic living situation. So maybe you could reflect on a few ways that, that you lost yourself before you came into the recovery program. I grew up, and it was me and my mom. I really think that one of the major things I learned from her was to take care of everyone around me, even like organizations and institutions, like like that it was how important it was to... Um, give feedback on what the program was like. And even to that extent, I think it's really recently that I even am able to identify what I want. So I think I, growing up, it was just kind of going to the next, you know, doing the next thing that I was supposed to be doing, which is school, college, job. From as long as I can remember, I've been putting everyone else's needs before my own for sure. Um, and then that became very easy to do um, as a mother of um, babies because they need you a lot. Um, and I remember being a new mom and being aware and hearing people and agreeing that it would, you know, it's common sense. Like you have to take care of yourself as well. Um, and something I've noticed about myself is that I'll try a little bit and if it's hard, I'll just back up completely from it. And an example I thought of was um, taking my one baby and then I had two um, to the gym, you know, and I would leave them in the daycare. Inevitably, they would either come and get me because the, they, they wouldn't be happy or they would kind of stick them in front of a TV program that our family doesn't choose to watch or they would, you know, get really bad colds after being there. It just felt... It felt too hard, so I would just kind of not, you know, just back up from it completely. Yeah, and then it shows up in my marriage as well. My husband, he's a different human being than me. I was always um, very social, and he's not exactly that way. But I think that he gets his social fill at work, and then when he comes home, he wants to be pretty much like a hermit, I would say. Mm -hmm. And so, again, like, to get him to, you know, go out to dinner, to dinner with friends or have people over, it just felt so hard and really, like, exhausting energetically. So I just kind of stopped trying after a while. I can definitely connect with the idea of taking care of others, which came into full effect when my wife went into her into the alcoholic phase of her drinking or when it became, you know, more pronounced, I guess. You know, you picked one of these other readings. Uh, you picked a bunch of readings, which was, was mm -hmm. really cool. And, and I think each of them, to some extent, illuminates a different aspect of what we're talking about. I just want to read a little bit. This is from February 8th and Hope for Today. It starts out, In the past, I focused on anyone but myself, my husband, my children, my friends. 
I scurried around trying to meet what I perceived to be their needs, trying to make their lives orderly, comfortable, safe, and secure. And then continues, Al-Anon teaches me that I cannot make life a fluffy bed for others. And <laughs> like, yeah, you know, I want to I make things right for people. I want to fix mm-hmm. things for people. Uh, and that's, that's been a, a pattern in my life, really for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, alcoholism came along. And there was somebody who, who really needed, really needed my help, really needed me to fix her. And my whole focus over the, over the, the period of time, I mean, it happens gradually and I didn't, I didn't see it happening, right? My whole focus went to her, went to what was going on and what could I do about it and how could I, how could I help her? How could I fix it? Uh, and also went into the the obsessive thinking about uh, possible consequences, about the horrible things that were going to happen in the future, and the things that had happened in the past. So I could have resentment and I could have fear at the same time. It was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> and and because that stuff was taking up all of my all of my time and all of my energy, uh, I lost a lot of the things that I had used to do. There were a few things that I kept on doing, but, but to a large extent, I withdrew. As you say, we stopped, we stopped socializing a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we certainly weren't inviting people to our house because we had chaos and we didn't want people to see the chaos. It's all a secret. Nobody knows. You know, we didn't go out, we didn't go to movies, we didn't. Most of the things that I did were in some way to escape. I, I'm, I'm a voracious reader, and so I know that I read a lot. Um, I played a lot of computer games. So the, the isolation was another way in which I lost a lot of my life, because this disease is, is a disease of isolation. It, it, I don't want to talk about what's going on in my life. I don't want to have to explain well, why I'm out by myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, isolating, again, I lose connections, I lose activities, I lose, you know, if I'm starting from a position of, I don't really know what I want to do, I need you to tell me what you want to do, and then I'll know what I want to do. Uh, and that is, that is so much a pattern of, of my behavior, mm-hmm. that until, until I know what you want, at it, it, one level, it might look like I don't want to say what I want until I know what you want because I don't want to disagree with you. But mm-hmm. I think it's more than that. It's that that I didn't know what I wanted, and I wanted I wanted to know what you wanted, and then this little switch would flip in my head and like, oh yeah, yeah, I'd like that too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then being connected strongly with somebody who who was in the in the disease of alcoholism, of course. Um, well, she didn't want anything except another drink. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I sure didn't know what I wanted. Uh, some other, and, and I think we've talked about this in various ways, but this this idea that, this sort of codependent idea that if I want to do something, but the people around me don't want to do it, then I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe I would say, hey, I do want to go see this movie because... It's like everybody's talking about it, and I think it'll be fun. 
And she's like, um, I don't feel like it. And I'll be like, oh, okay, then I won't go. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even sometimes when I knew what I wanted, uh, I just sabotaged myself because I was, I was the only person who wanted it. I couldn't, couldn't do it without, you know, we're supposed to be like a couple, a unit, something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so crazy. Yeah. And then there's the, I want something, but I'm not willing to speak up about it. Okay. So internally I might know what I wanted, but if I, I just want, I want my loved ones to read my mind and know that that's what I want mm-hmm. without me having to say it. They don't, you know, they, they, they can't read my mind. I, I don't know why, why not, but it just doesn't seem to happen. And so I wouldn't get, I wouldn't get it. And if I didn't get it, then after a while I'd stop even thinking that maybe I wanted it because it's never going to happen. A couple of things you said, yeah, really spoke to me or I guess helped me realize I wasn't really thinking about what I did instead because for me, it really came, I guess, to a head the past maybe like three years, I think because my back had gone out like again and it was just a lot of pain. So I was physically limited. I don't know. It just seems like the past three years have been well, helped me get into the doors of Al-Anon, really. But um, I wasn't really thinking about what I did instead. And hearing you say that that you read a lot. And yeah, for me, I enjoy reading, but I'm constantly tired because of um, parenting and just me, myself. And so I still haven't really gotten to a place where I can read. So I listen to books on tape and watch a lot of movies, which, yeah, is just... It's really an escape for me. And then that isolation is really, yeah, it really kind of snuck in there for me. I didn't really notice until I started going to Al-Anon regularly and, and was able to get some space and look back at it. Another thing I thought of as you were talking was um, I remember being in high I just am remembering this now, being in high school and I went to a school where there was a lot of art, and so we were um, painting with watercolors. And I remember we were given some kind of freedom to, you know, like maybe a topic to paint about, but I remember feeling really, really blank and not knowing what to put onto the paper. And I remember looking at my my neighbor, um, you know, a, a student next to me, like, what is he doing? I'll just do whatever he's doing. Even to that extent, like, I just, like, was had trouble identifying something inside of me to put on the outside of me, you know, like on paper. It's really incredible. Something else, I loved that episode that you did. It was a series with Ellen C., a speaker talk, and yeah. I think it was episode 159. And I wrote it down because it just really got me. She said, I think she heard a, an AA speaker, and they said that alcoholism erased their face. And she said it erased me a piece at a time until I got to a place. Who am I? What am I doing here? What am I doing here again? And I was just like, oh my God. And and then another part of it too is that I thought it was just me. You know, I mean, hearing, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're sharing just now, it was like a lot of those things. Like I really, I thought it was just me. <laughs> you know, that's that's a really important point. And that I thought, yeah, it's just me. Nobody else's yeah. life is this 
is this horrible mm-hmm. or, or this mm-hmm. dull or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I came into the rooms and I started realizing that, well, yeah, it's not just me. I mean, my first meeting, I don't think I could identify anything specific about what people said, but mm-hmm. at the end of the meeting, I knew I wasn't alone anymore. Mm-hmm. And that, that was something huge. Mm-hmm. And I was looking for a reading because there was a reading that I wrote down here uh, among the ways that I, I lost myself is, is expecting others to make me happy. Mm-hmm. And one of the readings that you sent triggered that thought, and I can't figure out which one it was now. Oh. <laughs> but it, I, I think it might have been the one about, there's, there's one about other people uh, making us suffer. I guess maybe I flipped that around and said, well, you know, if the actions of somebody else can make me can make me unhappy, is that because, at least partly because I'm expecting them to bring me happiness? I don't know. It's part of that erasing myself, right? I can't make myself happy. I need somebody outside myself to make me happy. Mm-hmm. I may have just found it, actually. Um, it might be from Hope for Today, uh, January 9th. I'll read part of it, and you let me know if this sounds right. Before Al-Anon, I allowed the behaviors of the alcoholic in my life to cause me great unhappiness. While it was true I was suffering, was my pain really their fault? Al-Anon has taught me to take responsibility for my own happiness. I think that is it, yeah, mm-hmm. and exactly, yeah. Because the alcoholic wasn't doing what the writer wanted them to do, mm-hmm. they were unhappy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they needed that they needed that person to do. I needed the people in my life to do the right thing, so I would be happy. Mm-hmm. To to turn it around and make it personal here. Mm-hmm. When you first came to Elanon or when you first did you come to Elanon before you came found the podcast or was it the other way around I was uh, just a couple months in so yeah towards the beginning yeah so you came to Elanon and then you found the podcast mm-hmm. okay so I just because I wanted to make sure I got the question right no. mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so what what messages did you hear when you first came to Elanon that sort of started you on this path to rediscovering yourself Mm, you know, it's all those slogans, I think. I really felt like a lot of times I, it felt like I was like in a swamp and like I just couldn't get myself out. It felt sticky. I couldn't move. And so I really was grateful to be able to call my sponsor and tell her like, okay, this is the data. This is the whatever uncomfortable conversation I just have with my husband, you know, or something like that. And for her, and she often says, would you like to hear what I'm, what I hear? And I'm like, yes, please, you know, desperate. And she'll offer me a slogan or just like a, a brief thing. And it, it really just feels like she's like reaching down like a, like a stick for me to hold on to. And then I can pull myself out of that swamp um, by holding on to that, those little brief, like tidbits of clarity. Specifically, I guess some of them are to put the focus back on myself, which felt radical. Um, and she often would say to me, you know, you picked up the rope and I was like, what rope? What, what is 
there's no rope. I don't, there's, what are you talking about? Like there's, I didn't even know there was a rope. And so then she would explain it very, you know, kindly and gently that, you know, maybe he put down a rope and you picked it up and now you're getting tossed all around. And I was like, wow, that's exactly what it feels like. <laughs> you know, I feel a bit like a rag doll right now. Mm-hmm. So then it was like the next step for myself would be, okay, well, let me put that down, the rope down <laughs> now that I know there's a rope and I don't want to get tossed around. So where am I? And so, you know, it's really just like, okay, I'm sitting in this chair and my, you know, like just bringing it real specific. It was moments like that. Another one she often says to me is that I have choices. And again, like when I hear her say that, it sounds like she's speaking a foreign language to me. I'm like, where, what, how can I, it just feels insane and radical and wild, like a wild notion that I, that I have choices. Yeah. Yeah. That one for me was, I I guess I knew that in, in parts of my life, I had choices. Mm -hmm. I could choose what I was going to eat for lunch. I could choose Mm -hmm. what shirt I was going to wear. Maybe I could have some influence on some other things. I'm trying to think of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to say, like, where we went on vacation, but no, because mm-hmm. we would go to see her family and we go to see my family. I mean, that's sort of, you know, right. um, <laughs> uh, external, external dictation there, it seems like sometimes. Other choices felt like they were dictated because maybe we didn't have money or something mm-hmm. like that. And I really felt like there were very few meaningful choices available to me. Mm-hmm. in my life and and I didn't even know at that point I think I didn't even know what choices I didn't have right um and so hearing that I have choices was was amazing actually and and the next step from that not only do I have choices but I can actually straightforwardly express what I would like to have I would reference back to the episode we did a while ago and I don't have the episode number off the top of my head on what are sometimes called the four M's, which are, if I can get this right, managing, manipulating, mothering, and martyrdom. Yeah. And that really expressed very well the way in which I thought the only way I could get my choices met when I, when I had a choice. Mm-hmm. I think one of the early messages that I heard that again was sort of radical was this notion of taking care of myself. Yeah. Because I really realized not all at once, of course, because clarity comes slowly when you're rising out of the fog engendered by alcoholism and our attempts to control it. But I realized that in very many ways I had not been taking care of myself. I had not been taking care of myself physically. Um, There came a time when I had to get a new doctor because my insurance changed and the doctor that I had was not covered by my new insurance. And I think I went three years mm-hmm. before I finally managed to get a new doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily nothing went seriously wrong in those three years, but <laughs> um, there, there could have been, there could have been issues. And I think I only, kept going to the dentist because every time I went, they would make the next appointment right. for me. Right. right? Yep. Um, and, and my dentist didn't do something like move away, you know? 
mm-hmm. because again, that would have been that would have been a problem. Spiritual health, I knew absolutely nothing about, mm-hmm. and I think that was the area in which I was probably suffering the most and taking care of the least. Because what is that? What is that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just taking care of myself in this notion of sort of doing the little things that I like to do. Um, the things that I was doing towards the end before I got to Al-Anon were to escape the situation. Right. Yeah, They were not things that I was necessarily doing because I wanted to do them. They were things I was doing because I wanted to get out of the house. Mm. Um, and and that's not taking care of myself, you know. Right. I mean, it is in a it is in a little. It's it's removing something negative, but it mm-hmm. wasn't really um, bringing much of anything positive. Mm-hmm. You know, we we had, and I realized what this was about, like much later. But we had decided that we would give each other one night a week that was just our night to do whatever we wanted with. And I'll tell you what, I was always out. And I was always out as late as I could and still feel like I was getting to bed in time to get to work in the morning. Um, Mm. Of course, I wasn't sleeping well. So Mm -hmm. that also is not good for physical health. So hearing this this message that I I, I had, not only did I have a responsibility to take care of myself, but I actually could. And, and this idea that, that I could put my health before that of somebody else's, um, was sort of a radical notion really. Mm -hmm. Um, and we often say, and I'm sure you've heard this thing about, you know, when you're on an airplane and they're telling you about the oxygen masks and they say, Always put your own mask on first before you help somebody else with theirs. Because if you pass out because you don't have oxygen, you sure as heck are not going to help the other person. You know, that's exactly what I was not doing. I was not putting my oxygen mask on, and I didn't even know I was supposed to. We may have talked about that, yeah. I used to have like a physical reaction, like a visceral reaction to hearing that. Like I would get angry. (laughs) Um, I don't know why. I mean, it wasn't like at the person, but I... Like, that's how deep it is in me to not take care of myself. Like, I would be like, no, that's, I know that I'm not going to do that, that I would never do that. It, it was, it was interesting to observe. Um, I, when my first, uh, baby was born, um, I had a, a lactation consultant come to the house and, and she, you know, said that to me and I was like, that, nope, you know, like, it's just not going to happen. And now I can hear it and it's, <laughs> I don't have such a strong reaction. I'd be curious to see what I would do now. But if you, yeah. if, if that same thing happened, uh. if I, I mean, before I was so, I knew, like I would, I, I just knew in every cell of my body that that is not what I would do. Even if I, yeah. I would tell, I would recommend it for for anybody. I knew for me, like I would not do that. But yeah, self care is, it's an interesting thing for me. That LNC again, I, I wanted to read what I wrote down again, if that's okay. Yeah. It's just a little brief thing. She's good. Yes, I really liked it so much. She said, I came to Al-Anon because I was safe here for an hour. People cared about me. No one was trying to change me. I came to in Al-Anon. And I just love that. And she also said, um, if I do what's best for me, it's what's best for them. Hmm. And I was like, whoa, when I heard that. Hmm. 
Yeah. Another thing that I heard that was shocking, mm. just shocking, was this notion that if I wanted to do something, but other people in my life didn't want to do it, it was okay for me to do it. Mm-hmm. And I remember a woman who has a lot more experience in the program than I do. And she said a lot of things that I connected with and that I tried to bring into my program. Mm. Uh, And she said, I like to go to movies. The rest of my family doesn't like to go to movies. I go to movies by myself and I enjoy them. And it's okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Blew my mind. Yeah. Absolutely blew my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started taking that and I, and I started using it and you know, my thing's not movies. Uh, my thing is, is one of my things at least is, is music performances and not like great big things like a little local band that maybe is playing for free or, you know, for tips at a coffee shop or something. I, I love to do that. Mm-hmm. And nobody else in my family is really interested most of the time. I discovered that it's okay for me to go. I'm not every night, obviously. I mean, it's not like I have I can abdicate my connection to the rest of my family. I can that I can abdicate my connection to. Well, my family immediate family is now my wife and the dog and you know, he's he's got pretty simple needs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I I certainly can't go out every night. Uh, but I can go out and enjoy myself and not feel guilty. That I'm there and she's not. Yeah. And I think what's really cool about that too is that, you know, that you're able to identify what you like to do. I was having trouble with that to even know what I like. I mean, I, I don't think I could have stated it that clearly right. a decade ago. Right, uh, right, right. I think, I think what I found was that I would see a notice about a performance and I would say, huh. Or maybe I'd hear about it on radio or something. I don't know. And I'd say, I'd like to go to that. Or I'd be in the coffee shop and they'd have a post drop. And I'd say, I'd like to go to that. And, and, and I started going and I started realizing, yeah, this is something that I like. Yeah. So it was sort of like, maybe I don't really know if this is something I'm going to enjoy, but I'd like to give it a try. Right. Open to it. Yeah. 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 And that was something I heard. I started to hear in meetings or, or maybe pick out was people kept talking about what they wanted and, uh, you know, or, or identifying what they wanted. And I was like, what, you know, again, just like, this is brand new. What do you mean? And I had a really cool experience. It happens to me a lot that something is up for me in my life. And then I go into a meeting and that's the topic. And that happened, I guess it was a couple months ago now, but there was a job opportunity at my kid's school in the office. And I've been, I don't, I've never liked the term stay-at-home mom because I'm never home, but um, I have not brought in a paycheck for 11 years, and that's not like always easy because I, I like to contribute. So it was like, oh, that's cool. You know, that job, theoretically, you know, like I would, you know, match their schedule and I would be close if they needed me. But I had some resistance to just applying to the job, and I just I couldn't get clear. And one day I went to a meeting and the topic was decisions. So I was like, oh my gosh. And I sat up front, which I don't know why, but I I don't usually do that. But it was interesting because I shared first that I had this decision that I was, you know, kind of grappling with. And, 
And in my share, I, I committed to myself that I would make a decision by Friday, which was just an arbitrary day I picked. And then, as I said, I was sitting up front and um, people kept you know, they, they then shared, um, but they kept saying, and it just was interesting that it was like behind me. I don't know if it was like, I don't know, metaphor or I could hear them better. They were kind of more in my ear, but they just kind of were, you know, kept saying, you know, what do I want and identifying their wants. And then in that meeting, I I got it. (laughs) Like it just got real clear to me. Like, what do I, asking myself, you know, what do I want? Do I want to work at that school? It got real clear again. No, I didn't. <laughs> that that the, the push or the pull I was feeling was all the shoulds. You know, I should be, you know, blah, 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 you know, bringing in money for the family. I should be working. My kids are older now and it would make my mother, mother-in-law and husband very happy if I did. But I got really clear. I didn't want to work with that set of people that were there. Yeah. And then if I did work there, then it would take up a lot of my time, obviously. Then I wouldn't be getting closer to what I really do want to do, which as a side, I'm still figuring out. But, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but it was it, it, that that's been a really big message for me in the meetings as well is um, this crazy notion of what do I want? <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and I love that what you found there was, no, this is not what I want because mm-hmm. I think right. that's yeah. an equally important part. Mm-hmm. Not just knowing what we want, but knowing what we don't want mm-hmm. because I know I could, I could spend a lot of time on stuff that I didn't actually want to be doing. Right. But I thought for some reason that I had to. Right. Uh, yep. And I'm not pulling up examples in my head right now, but I know yeah. I know that th- I know that they're there. Um, yeah. Well, it's like all these, you know, ideas and, you know, all these shoulds, you know, it just it gets so confusing. It's it gets hard to see clearly. But yeah, again in that meeting just hearing the word, you know, want over and over it helped me <laughs> reframe it <laughs> and and pull myself out of that, you know, confusing all these things that I'm trying to figure out what's the best thing for me to do. It's like, wait, time out. What do you want? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it just felt so clear. Like, no, that's I I don't want anything to do with that at all. I don't want to do that at all. Mm-hmm. As you've moved forward in recovery, I know that you have been bringing some new stuff into your life. Mm-hmm. I think you talked before about your training in yoga. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you really have started doing since you, since you came into recovery. Is that true? Absolutely. Yeah. Whenever anyone asks me, when did I start Al-Anon? It's a little confusing to me because I walked in the door the first time, December 5th with a friend. Cause I would, was too scared to go by myself, even though I had penciled it on my calendar forever. So I walked in the door then. I went one more time in the spring. And then over the summer, I had found a good therapist, and she was really nice, but it was hard to get there and expensive. And I was like, I'm going to go to that Al-Anon thing. You know, they've got, I like that it's organized with the steps, and I can do it at my own pace, and it's free. And, and so I... My kids have had a half day the first day, and the next day I went, and I've been going 
consist- consistently since August. The thing is, is that Al-Anon, I, I, it just sounds and feels so amazing to me. Um, and I guess, I don't know, I don't like to use the word crazy, but crazy, but um, it started to have an effect on my life. Even even the one time I went in December, and then the, the and then I went one more time in the spring. So I I was going very consistently, like four times a week, and that's how I found your podcast because I I wanted as much as I could get, um, and it was and my life felt really hard and unmanageable. I started working with my sponsor, and sorry to back up for a second mm-hmm. again. In that time, a friend invited me to go back to yoga, and I love yoga, but I had some resistance. It's self-care. And I went with her. And the first time I went back, I'll never forget. I was like shaking like a leaf, like not because I was scared, but it was just, it felt maybe like looking in the mirror for the first time in years. And then they had a sale on their membership. So I, I sat there I'll never forget in their lobby for like 15 minutes. Like, should I do it? Should I do it? And I did it. And then and then I started working with my sponsor and it came across my radar that they were doing this training. I was talking to her about it, you know, you know, the whole shoulds, should I do it or not? It's a big commitment for my family, for me to be gone. It's a lot of money. You know, I remember her saying, you will decide and you'll decide to, excuse me, the thing that's right for you. And she was like, but what I can tell you is that whenever you talk about yoga, you light up. And... I did not know what she, I, I was like, what do you, what, what, you know, again, (laughs) (laughs) I just, I, I was like, I can't, what do you, how, what, no. And so then I kind of let that resonate. Like, wait a minute, maybe she's, maybe she's right. Maybe I am lighting up and, and, you know, it was scary to ask my husband, you know, cause it was 15 weekends, Friday evening, and then all day Saturday and Sunday, 15 weekends. And that's a lot to ask of him, mm-hmm. it felt like. Um, and then also the financial. You know, he was as supportive as he could be. His response I, one time, he said, yeah, if it'll bring money in. And it was just like, oh, like that kind of hit, you know. But because mm-hmm. um, that's not why I was doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was mm-hmm. really to invest in myself and to deepen my practice. And I was so scared, the support of him, you know, that put aside. I was so scared to put myself out there in that way. And and I knew that there would be a final. It was a written final. And it was um, also, I knew that I had to teach my fellow students. And I was so, so scared to sign up for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I love being a student, but... Um, mm-hmm. So I did it. Yeah, it's... Um, I finished about a week ago. I had a really cool experience. It was the Wednesday before the test, the written part. And I was just so rattled. And I went into a meeting. You know, I tried to load up on meetings. And I was crying in there and just just saying, I'm scared. I'm scared. And it was absolutely incredible. Um, 15, I, well, I, at least 15 people lined up after the meeting and, and just gave me hugs and gave me words of encouragement. And it, I, it was so unexpected. I I was just, I was just absolutely amazed at the amount of support I got from strangers and from familiar faces. And it was just absolutely incredible. I'll, 
I'll never, ever forget that day. It was amazing. Um, yeah, and I took the test, and the sky didn't fall, and <laughs> I, I taught the class, and yeah, I'm officially, yeah, certified as a yoga teacher now. So I might ask, what did you discover about yourself in this process? Specifically the yoga? Yeah, in the process of deciding to, to take this course and doing it mm-hmm. and, and coming through, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, did you discover that you like teaching? Did you discover, you know, the, the, uh, what, what sort mm-hmm. of things might have come up that you hadn't maybe really known about yourself before? Mm-hmm. Part of our, like our homework was that we had to teach a six-week series, ideally to three people. So I did that to um, so I, three um, women friends of mine. I realized that I had a little bit of like my nose turned up a little bit to um, to studio classes because with yoga, you know, as it's as it originated, you know, it was a one on one process, and in order for me to to learn yoga from someone, I would have to you know earn it, um, and then and then I would go and live with that person mm. and learn yoga that way, and it, so it really is is one-on-one and the, you know, the yoga poses are just one of the eight limbs, you know, there's so much more to it. Um, so I kind of turned my nose up to a little bit. And what I realized is that, and it was towards the end of the program, like, wait a minute, I like to go to yoga classes. (laughs) (laughs) So if I like it, there's something there. So that I think is something new that I learned. And it really is a nice way to have contact with a lot of people in that way. And also I, I did like teaching, you know, those three women that I taught more than I thought I would and, and how much I learned as I was teaching. That was, that was amazing. And the little, you know, feedback, I mean, it was so short, but you mm-hmm. know, my friend said that her husband said to her, like, can you go back and do yoga with Carrie? And, and that meant so much to me. And I, you know, I, I told her in that moment that, you know, that to me, that's yoga like that, that means I'm getting out of the way enough for the yoga to come through. And that was really, really rewarding, I think, for you know her and I both. I guess it mostly feels like I'm getting to know myself again. Um, that's what I was kind of thinking when I was first saying, like, it's nothing new. But mm-hmm. um, I feel like, yeah, like I'm getting to know myself again and... and and what I really do enjoy doing and what, what lights me up. Yeah. And that really is, you know, connecting with people and providing a space to share what I know and to support them. Yeah. And I was thinking about these questions of, you know, what if I, what have I learned about myself? What did I maybe didn't know uh, that I've discovered because maybe to some extent because I'm in recovery, because recovery Mm -hmm. opened yeah. Um, new prospects for me in some way, mm-hmm. uh, new possibilities. And one of the things that I, I never, I never thought would happen mm-hmm. is I discovered that I like working with, with teenage people, mm-hmm. uh, with teenagers. Uh, and that uh, I seem to have never knew this. I seem to have mm-hmm. some kind of ability to connect Mm-hmm. Across this this age gap, uh, I'm I'm forty to fifty years older. Uh, well, I'm more than forty years older than than a teenager, uh, mm-hmm. but but somehow 
I'm able to connect. And I think, I really think that a lot of that ability, a lot of that capability has come uh, from some of the tools that I learned uh, in Al-Anon that, but that the basic, I actually enjoy being with these, these crazy, uh, exasperating people, <laughs> um, but also energetic and full of life, um, you know, which is, is the upside, right? Uh, and I can deal with crazy and exasperating when they're not my kids. Mm, right. Uh, that, yeah. That's a big part yeah. of it. Uh, yeah. Although I enjoy my children too, and I enjoy them more now that they're in their 20s. But mm-hmm. <laughs> the practice in Al-Anon of getting myself out of the way, which is not something I was ever able to do. Mm-hmm. I really had to practice that. This whole business of sitting still in a meeting with your mouth shut while somebody else talks, I mean, that is that is hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but being able to do that and being able to focus attention, um, I think, has, has brought me into this new area of interaction. And I'm now trying to push the boundaries on this because next year, I think I've mentioned this before, but next fall I'm going to start working with the seventh graders at my church. Mm-hmm. And they're not the same as high school kids. <laughs> they're not quite as mature. Um, they're... Maybe a lot of them have sort of more body energy, and 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 that's harder for me to deal with. So we'll see how that goes. But I, I have mm-hmm. confidence um, that that I'm actually going to be able to do it. Uh, something else that I've, and this comes from taking care of myself. Um, I actually like enjoy exercising, which is not something I ever thought would be true. I thought it was something I had to do. In consequence, I didn't do it a lot. I really should exercise. That's one of those I really shoulds. Oh, yeah. And since I started exercising regularly, it's about a year now, something like that. And I've discovered that I actually enjoy it. And part of that is that, of course, the more you exercise, the the more enjoyable it is, the less less work it is. (laughs) But I think also part of it is an attitude shift. And, you know, we say in, in our Al-Anon opening that changed attitudes can aid recovery. So much depends on our, attitude, our own attitudes. And, and changing my attitude about exercise from this is something I have to do to this is something I want to do. And this is something I do because I actually feel better after I do it. I mean, maybe not immediately afterwards, but. Mm-hmm. But maybe this morning I was, I woke up early and I wasn't getting back to sleep. And, and I thought, well, I really, I, you know, I need to, I need to get a full night's sleep because I'm still coming off of this little cold that I had and I need the sleep. I need the rest so that I'll continue to heal. And I'm not, and I'm not sleeping. <laughs> and, I realized that this was, this could be an endless cycle of I'm worrying about not being able to sleep and so I'm not sleeping. And, and then this little voice said, you could get up and you could go to the gym. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> okay. And you know that exercising actually gives you energy and makes you feel more awake and alert. 
I was like, yeah, I could. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't easy right at the beginning, partly because my life's been very helter-skelter the last few weeks, and, and it's thrown off my schedule. And so I haven't been exercising on a regular, on a regular schedule. And so just that getting back in after, I think, almost a week of, of, of not doing it. But it worked. I came home, and I was awake, and I hadn't even had my coffee yet. How about that? Yeah, I think, too, it's what I heard you say is like, you know, changing your perspective a little bit, you know, taking away the shoulds and like, oh, you know, this can be fun. Um, and I experienced that, too, with exercising. Um, I know. I feel so much better. First, after it's over, I feel like, yay, I did it. Like, thank God that's done <laughs> sometimes, you know. And But then, you know, all the the really good benefits, um, you know. And then, like, you know, it's like, oh, I have a little more of a bicep there than I didn't before. Something, you know, like that, those little incentives start to be fun as well. But also it's just, I don't know, maybe it's like noticing as well, like shifting perspective. I think where the uh, topic for this episode came from was um, that I realized that I liked mushrooms a couple weeks ago. Oh, I remember um, that. You said yeah. you said something like, this is really crazy, but I like mushrooms. Right, as if like we were going to name the podcast or the episode that. I think it would be a great, a great title, but people would have yeah, no idea no. what it's about. Right. No, 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 totally. Yeah. And it was, it was a really neat moment. Um, my daughter was somewhere, you know, in the kitchen, but not, not helping cook, but, um, but I was cooking and I was just over the, um, skillet and I'm not a cook in any way. Uh, about three months, three months ago. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, I start, I took out sugar, which is a huge, huge deal for me. Felt really radical self care. One of my favorite things now, because it just feels easy and it tastes good, but um, it's chopping up um, French cut green beans and just cutting them up really small and putting it in olive oil and mushrooms. And I can't remember what made me buy the mushrooms. I don't know. But so I was over the skillet doing that. My daughter was, (laughs) you know, maybe at the counter or something, but I was like, you know, I just announced, I was like, I like mushrooms. (laughs) And she was like, what? You know, like, what are you talking about? And I was like, <laughs> what are you talking about, I, mom? <laughs> right. And I was like, I forgot. I like mushrooms. And I think she thought I had really lost it. Maybe I did. I don't know. But she was like, okay. And I was like, but you don't understand. Like, I, I stopped eating mushrooms a couple years ago. And, and she said, she's like, why? And I was like, because dad doesn't like them. And she was like, that's dumb. And I was like, I know. Like, why did I do that? So... I didn't realize until that moment as I was cooking them and they smelled so good and I was like excited to eat them. And I was like, God, I just, I was looking at them. I just like appreciating the beauty of them and yum. My mouth is watering as I'm saying it. Mm. They're so good. And, and so, and I was like, well, where, why haven't I been eating these? And I forgot. I mean, I just, my husband doesn't like mushrooms. So what happened, what would happen years ago we've lived together for uh i don't know 16 years so somewhere you know maybe i don't know 14 years ago i just yeah i got tired of hearing him complain if they were in a salad or in anything i was cooking so i just stopped putting them in anything bringing them buying them bringing them home or eating them all together which sounds 
you know, ridiculous now, but I did it. And it wasn't like a clear conscious decision. It just happened. So yeah, I, I owe it to al that I'm eating mushrooms again. <laughs> right. Yeah. Almost every day. <laughs> you know, I feel like that's, that's a great place to, to, uh, to close off this segment on. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, something you forgot about yourself and you rediscovered it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and you were able to recognize that rediscovery. I think that's maybe mm. the, the gift of the program here. Yeah. For sure. So after a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. And you picked a bunch of great musical selections for this episode. You want to talk about the first one? Our first musical selection, which you can listen to on the website at therecoveryshow.com slash 163, is Talking Heads, Once in a Lifetime. I've always liked this song, and I thought about it pretty pretty soon after I thought of the um, topic. Um, but when you really listen to the lyrics all together, they're kind of odd. <laughs> yes. So yeah, <laughs> love so talking heads, but yes. Yeah. So I looked at the meeting meaning, and I thought this was interesting. It was from uh, Wikipedia, and it, um, I'll start the quote here. According to all music critic Steve Huey. One of the main themes of the lyrics is the drudgery of living life according to social expectations and pursuing commonly accepted trophies, a large automobile, a beautiful house, beautiful wife. Although the singer has these trophies, he begins to question whether they are real and how he got them. Uh, This leads him to question further the reality of his life itself, providing the existential element and just a few of the lines and you may ask yourself what is this beautiful house and you may ask yourself where does this highway go to and you may ask yourself am i right am i wrong and you may ask yourself my god what have i done In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. And I'll go ahead here. I've been talking about the, what was the upcoming visit to my parents with my brother and sister, and that, that happened. I'm back from that. That's why we had the third installment of LNC this week. And, uh, and we, the children the adult children in our 50s and 60s now, so children, but my parents are in their 80s, you know. Anyway, we had agreed that that we were going to try to talk to our parents about our concerns about their ability to continue to live independently. Not putting it quite so bluntly, I think, but that was, you know, that's where our concerns are, that how much longer can they can they live by themselves? How much longer can my father continue to take care of my mother? So we had we had talked ahead of time. We had a phone conversation about how we wanted to approach this, maybe when we wanted to do it. And then, of course, uh, when reality hit the fan, uh, things didn't work out exactly as we had planned. Uh, but we did have, we had some conversations 
among ourselves after we'd been there for a little while about, okay, so what are we really seeing here? What are we, you know, are, are the things that we said we were concerned about, are they real? And, uh, you know, are they as bad as we think they are or whatever? And we also had um, a brief conversation with my father about, well, he came out to, to talk to us because he felt that we weren't accommodating my mother as she she needed to be accommodated in order for her to be comfortable. A little codependency there, but I mean he also was right that that she's she's not able to um you know, she's not able to interact with us in, in the way that we might be expecting her to and that um she gets anxieties about things and because her memory is not what it used to be her short-term memory is is very weak and and so when she gets anxious about something it tends to be repetitive and there was a particular situation where he felt we weren't um, we were what what we weren't doing was making it worse if that makes any kind of sense at all i think yeah. it does um and so then he started talking about i think i think my sister said asked him some questions about well you know what do you do you know, um, and he told us some of the some of the stuff that he's doing about, you know, giving her medications. Uh, she she can't remember whether she's had a had a pill or not, and she she doesn't even usually know what day of the week it is. Um, and so he's he's taking all of that on on himself. And we didn't get to have the follow up conversation. We tried to we tried to ask this question, which is the one that we really want to want to ask, which is. Um, what are some things you could do that would make it easier for you to live your life? And also, you know, what if something horrible happens? What what is the plan if suddenly you can't live here? You know, is there a plan? That's a harder. That's a. I think that's a harder conversation. I don't know if we were going to get to that. So we had that conversation. We we were there for several days, and and I forget the second or third day we were there. My 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 brother and sister and I. We had gone somewhere, and we were driving back. So we all drove, the three of us drove back in her car, and the rest of the group drove back in, in my car so that we could have some time, just, you know, sibling time, but also time to talk about what we had observed and where we wanted to go. And And as I was leaving, and we still hadn't had the second conversation, I talked to them, and, and they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, try to have that conversation. My brother was staying longer. I think he may be leaving tomorrow. So he had, he had several more days there. My sister was going to be back down again. So it didn't go as completely as I had wanted it to. Um, but I feel good that we actually managed to start that conversation um, because that was really scary. And And I know I said a couple of weeks ago that I was really sort of grateful to my sister for setting up this conference call before the visit where we talked about how we wanted to approach it because um, as the call was coming, the time for the call was coming, I was thinking, I don't want to do this. I really don't want to do this, but you know, she set this up and, and we're going to do it. And she told me later, she said, I didn't want to do it either, but we'd made that commitment and so we did it. <laughs> I think that speaks to the importance sometimes of what we say of making commitments that, you know, whether it's a commitment to service at a meeting or something, you know, that you make a commitment, it, it actually helps you to follow through. Sort of in 
preparation maybe for the visit. And, and uh, I started reading this book, which I had heard about. Hmm, oh, yes, I talked about the, the church service about dementia, and the minister had mentioned this book, uh, Measure of the Heart, by Mary Ellen Geist, where she comes home to help care for her father who has Alzheimer's. And a lot of it, I mean, it, there's a lot in this book, but the part that was really striking me was where she talks about the effect that caring full-time for somebody who has a disease like this, the effect it has on the caregiver um, and how it steals their life. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> um, kind of been there. Uh, and that's sort of what we're talking, to some extent, what we're talking about here is is the ways in which, um, you know, we lost our lives, we lost ourselves in, maybe not in exactly that situation, but I, I'm really able to identify with a lot of what she was talking about. Okay, and then um, I wanted to talk about one more thing where I was listening to a podcast called Invisibilia, which it says it's about about the invisible things in our life. And this episode was about, so it was about caring for the mentally ill in a particular way, which is embedding them in regular people's homes. And apparently there's a city in Belgium where this has been the practice for hundreds of years because some saint started it 300 years ago. Wow. And, and mentally ill people come and live long-term in in family homes, and they actually seem to maybe get better mm-hmm. and at least not get worse. And And they talked about this, and then they talked about, you know, maybe why this might be and why and how this approach totally differs from sort of our American approach of we need to cure it and sort of, you know, accepting it and living with it rather than thinking there's some way to cure it. Um, and, you know, not saying that, that certain certainly that that illnesses are are can be cured a lot of them but sometimes they can't but the part that struck me was when they started talking about why it works seems to work better for a person to live with some, with strangers than to live mm-hmm. with their own family and mm-hmm. i want to play a little excerpt here um, that talks about that that desire to fix the problem It oozes out of a person they have found and works to trigger relapse in the person they're thinking about. And there's a lot more about that, but I just totally connected this notion that when I was wanting to fix my wife, that in fact maybe I was at the same time sort of keeping her in her disease. And we talk in the program about letting go. We talk about giving people the dignity to find their own path. And what they were saying in this episode was that that is so hard for family to do for the people they love. It is so hard to let go and let them find their own path, to accept them as they are, to accept that they might not get better and to continue to love them. And I'm like, oh my God, detachment with love and and letting go and all these things that we learn in the Al-Anon program. It's like right there, 
It's right there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so the episode was called The Problem with the Solution. The podcast is Invisibilia, and I will put a link to that in the show notes at therecoveryshow.com slash 163. So that was my week. How about you? Well, first, thank you so much for that. My mother-in-law right now is um, experiencing, you know, having been independent her whole life, and now, you know, she's she's changing. It's it's really challenging um, to to uh, what I'm observing is like for my husband and his brother to change their perspective of her. So, thank you so much for that, and I think that. So many of us, if not now, will experience, you know, family members getting older. Uh Um, So um, I think it's a really great, great topic. Thank you for that. I'm going to share it with my husband. Thank you. Yeah, for me, yeah, it was a a big week for me. I um, dropped my kids off um, at their first sleepaway camp. They're 11 and 9 years old. And to some people that might sound like, yeah, we went to the grocery store. (laughs) Like it's not really a big deal. But for me, it was honestly one of the hardest things I've ever done. They've traveled with their dad for a week or 10 days at a time um, while I stay home. So it's not the part about being away from them. It, It brought up a lot for me. Even though I knew I wasn't, I realized that it felt like I left them on the side of the road. Mm. I was just so scared. Part of that is that, you know, my undergrad is in social work. Another part is that I watch too many, you know, news stories about scary things happening to people. Mm. Um, so I was just really, really scared. And I noticed that what I wanted was just for someone, you know, God, my higher power, to tell me and assure me that they were going to be safe. Like if I could just know that they were going to be safe, then then I could detach and be fine and, you know, be great. So I was crying as I drove away um, from them. And, mm-hmm. um, and I realized that part of the like almost pain that I was feeling was that I didn't feel taken care of and protected as a child. And while I was lucky enough not to have anything really awful and traumatic um, happen, but I just didn't feel safe in a lot of ways. So then as a mom, I'm like a lioness, like, you know, I'll, I won't even think like the oxygen mask, like, you know, yes, it goes on them first. Absolutely. And so for me to leave them, uh, yeah, it just gives me the shivers just thinking about it. And part of the tears too, I think was that I was holding it together, um, the week before, because I really didn't want to put, as I was beginning, becoming aware of that this was hard for me. I didn't want to put that on them because this is just my old stuff, not, you know, not something I want to burden them with. Mm-hmm. So it was also kind of a release, I think, as well. So the first thing I did was uh, to call my husband and he was out of town and he was in a meeting, so <laughs> unavailable. And then I called my sponsor and she was available and she listened and she didn't tell me um, to be or to do anything differently. Um, she just held the space for me and told me, reminded me to breathe and, you know, reminded me that if, you know, that I would get a call if they got hurt or anything. And, and it helped to just have someone hear my experience in that moment. Um, it 
just helped me feel like I could keep driving away from the camp. And then, you know, I got myself to the next meeting I could, and I shared about that um, in there. And it was neat because I stumbled through it. I After I shared, I was like, I don't know if that made any sense at all. And um, after a woman came up to me after the meeting, and she shared with me that she had just dropped off one of uh, her grandparents child at um, a sleepaway camp as well and they were about the same age and it was neat because she shared with me that she she keeps telling them like you're so lucky you get to go because she didn't get to go as a child and it really was a source of sadness for her because her friends would come home and say how much of a great time they had and then we kept talking and she shared with me that she's going I think it's this month or maybe in early August, but the um, AA Al-Anon conference in Crested Butte. Mm. So I said to her, I was like, well, look, you get to go to your sleepaway camp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I like that because um, it's like, you know, we get to recreate what we didn't get as children. So it's like, you know, first we maybe need to acknowledge it and recognize it and identify it. And then, you know, God brings us an opportunity for us to to get what we didn't have sometimes. And that's, I think, also something nice about having children and grandchildren is, you know, it, we get to relive parts as well, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just really felt like a gift for me to go to a meeting and fumble through and, um, and then have that ex- uh, exchange with a woman because it felt like we were supporting each other in different ways. So it was nice. And they're, they're, the kids are fine, by the way. They post, pictures, <laughs> <laughs> they post pictures of the kids. And, you know, I was, course, yeah. yeah, I logged on. I was like, it's not working. It's not working. The little password I was given. And mm-hmm. it's because they hadn't posted anything yet. Oh. <laughs> so I know. And so not only was there a picture of each child, but they were also smiling. And so I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Like, they're alive and they're smiling. <laughs> so. Yeah, I pick them up on Saturday. <laughs> mm. Yeah, you know, I in my experience those those opportunities to feel that that loss, that fear mm-hmm. uh, will come. Yeah. They continue to come. Right. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think about yes. uh dropping them off at college. Ugh, yeah. Um, or in my in the case of the one kid, mm. dropping them off at the airport. Mm-hmm. saying, have a good trip to Arizona. Bye. Right. right. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think I remember you sharing also, didn't your son do some a camping living situation for a little while? Oh, that. Oh, my God. Right. Yes. <laughs> Dropping him off on the curb yeah. with his bike in his backpack oh. and not knowing oh. where he was going to sleep that night. Oh, you are a strong man, Spencer. Oh, <laughs> oh. I used all my tools that weekend. Right. I did. Yeah. And before. Right. Uh, I talked oh. about that in a bunch of meetings before yeah. and after. Oh, oh these kids right. are little teachers. <laughs> as, as I was driving back, I was on the phone with Alan on support. So yeah. I just yeah. um, absolutely. And having, having that available, like just as you said, mm-hmm. you know, you could go to a meeting, you could talk to somebody who yeah. um, maybe they hadn't been there, but at least they gave you that space. Mm, right. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is huge. Yeah. Grateful. So, um, what are we going to be talking about maybe next week? Uh, I'm still working on these gifts of Al-Anon. Uh, this 
One coming up is courage and fellowship will replace fear. We will be able to risk failure to develop new hidden talents. And I thought of that as you were talking about, mm-hmm. you know, your yoga training. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. there you are. There's an example. Yeah. Um, and I actually have a friend in the program who is striking out in a new direction. And, and I have asked her if she'd like to come talk about that with, res- with regards to this particular couple of sentences. And, and I, think that's, I think that's what we're going to do. I don't know exactly when. In any case, we welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. Please leave a voicemail or send us an email with your feedback or your questions. How, you know, how have you found courage to replace your fear? How has the fellowship maybe um, also helped to replace fear? That that sort of more amorphous fear, not fear of particular things, and per- perhaps, but just um, that fear that I knew in the middle of the night when I couldn't sleep. It wasn't any necessarily particular thing I was afraid of, but man, there was fear. And finding fellowship in Al-Anon really helped that. Love to hear your your sharing on that. And Carrie, how can people share their voices with our conversation? You can call and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Call right now to 734 734- Seven zero seven eight seven nine five. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send an email to feedback at com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope, or your questions about today's topic of rediscovering myself or any of our upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like for us to talk about, let us know. And you can get all the information about The Recovery Show, including the phone number and email address, on our website, which is therecoveryshow.com. So if you are recommending the podcast to a friend, please direct them to therecoveryshow.com. And we will now take a short break. Before we look at our mailbag. And the second musical selection, also available on the website, is a wonderful YouTube video for the song Brave by Sarah Bareilles. I just, I love the video. I mean, it's just, the song is about being yourself. It's about, you know, expressing yourself about not, the video at least, really. I think brings home this message of not letting what other people think about you change you mm-hmm. about doing as, as we used to say when I was growing up, you know, doing your own thing and letting your freak flag fly. <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's the era that I grew up in. What can I say? Anyway, uh, check it out. And here's some lyrics that I think uh, come directly to our discovering ourselves topic rediscovering ourselves, But I wonder what would happen if you say what you want to say and let the words fall out. Honestly, I want to see you be brave with what you want to say and let the words fall out. Honestly, I want to see you be brave. Got some email, some, some feedback this week. Not a whole lot. I think I don't know, summer is quiet or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, Suzanne 
left a comment on the website on the uh, Tradition 7 episode, and that was a while ago. It's episode number 79. And again, as a reminder, you can always find an episode by number by going to therecoveryshow.com slash 79 in this case. She writes, I just discovered this site and really like what you're doing. I found you as I was doing research to lead the topic meeting on Saturday, an Al-Anon meeting, which is Tradition 7. I found your podcast, and I'm using some of the ideas to help me ponder how I want to approach the topic for Saturday. Thank you so much. Also, I'm an author, editor, publisher of a very small press, and have been working for about a year on a blog project that will hopefully become a book next year that will share my experiences and those of others I find through the communities of interest who intersect with the blog. If you're interested to take a look, I'd be really grateful to know what you think of it. It's called Pink Notebook, Essays on Asking and Receiving. And I have to admit that I haven't looked at it yet, but asking and receiving again seems to me to intersect with some of what we were talking about today. Mm -hmm. Um, That we, we can't get what we want if we don't ask for it, and we can't ask for it if we don't know what it is. She continues, all the best, and keep on doing what you're doing. It works. Grateful member of Al-Anon, Suzanne. Um, and, and thank you for that, Suzanne. Any, any thoughts on uh, Suzanne's note? Yeah, I'd like to check it out as well. Yeah, and as you said, it's, it's a cool title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just, I think it's really cool, just this, you know, the whole community that, um, of podcasts and um, people listening. And yeah, I love, I love that email. I'd like to ask you to read the email from Jerry. Sure. Hi, Spencer. I had to write uh, to thank you, belatedly, for all the time you spent recording with Mark. Together, you got me to where I needed to be, and I could not have done it without you, too. I wish you the best in your continuing good work. I appreciate it must be very difficult to pilot solo, but I got a lot out of all your shows. And at the time, there seemed to be nothing like it anywhere. You introduced me to other resources, but you two were the gateway to recovery. Best wishes, Jerry R. And, and thanks, Jerry. And for, for those of you who are, are coming into this podcast now, um, Mark was you know, it really my mentor in podcasting. Uh, he's the, the guy who, when I asked him to be my sponsor, he said, Sure, and would you like to be on my podcast? And I'm like, well, what's that? <laughs> um, <laughs> and and Mark has a podcast called Recovered, which is uh, AA focus recovery. But I get a lot of value out of it because uh, when when they're not talking about alcohol directly, uh, they're still talking my language. And and his is is a little more. Um, Boisterous, I think, is a word I would use. Uh, he's typically got three or four other people in the studio with him. And um, if you're offended by salty language, you may not want to listen to it because they do not, they do not uh, um, censor themselves in what they say. Um, they are who they are. Uh, but just about everybody... I would say everybody he he's had on there has some wisdom to share that has helped me in my recovery. Um, so that's called Recovered. Um, I think it's at recoveredcast.com or if you go to therecoveryshow.com and look uh, in the uh, right-hand rail if you're on a computer or way down at the bottom if you're on a phone, uh, you will see a section titled Podcasts We Like 
and it's called Recovered, and you can just click on that link. So I owe a real debt of gratitude to Mark to getting me into this because I never would have thought of doing this. And here we are, three and a half years, well, over four years since I started uh, participating in Mark's podcast as as sort of the Elanon. Um, <laughs> I was the Elanon, the token Elanon. No, um, <laughs> I also got. Uh, a couple of text messages from Eric B., who's been uh, a co-host at times, asking uh, about whether I had done episodes on a couple of topics. And he asked about choices. And I went and looked, and I did not find an episode specifically about choices. I found that one fairly recent uh, called Seeing Clearly, our sight, once clouded and confused, will clear, and we'll be able to perceive reality and recognize truth, where apparently we talked about having choices. And I swear I thought we had done some other episodes about choice, but um, I wasn't finding them. Maybe that's, you know, that's a good topic. Uh, anybody wants to... Oh, I take it back. Look at that. Episode five, before I was tagging the episodes, is titled Choices. Um, so it's been... A while uh, since we've talked about choices, and I think it would be great to, to do it again. So, um, great suggestion, Eric. And the other thing he asked about was how about sadness? And I was like, no, I don't think we've, we've really talked about sadness specifically. I know I've talked about loss, and, and, uh, and somebody, else, somebody else asked about whether we'd done uh, a topic of grief and not exactly either. So uh, there's a couple of great suggestions, uh, choices, sort of a positive one, sadness or grief, kind of a negative one, but you know, finding how the program helps us to work through our sadness how we, and how we experience sadness because um, for many of us, there is loss in recovery, loss of the loved one who we many of us have discovered in recovery that we cannot continue to live with. Um, and there's grief about that and sadness. And so um, there's a couple other topics. I'd love to hear, you know, your thoughts. Uh, as, as we said, send us an email, give us a voicemail. Or if you want to be a co-host like Carrie is today, drop a note to feedback at com, and, and we can get going on that. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like nobody did this week. And I was feeling a little like, oh man, I'm not getting any emails and nobody's sending me money. <clears throat> and I realized that that a couple of episodes ago, I had like four sponsors and a bunch of emails. I'm like, okay. This is just, you know, it goes up and down and, and, and stop feeling sorry for yourself, Spencer. Okay, stop sitting on the pity pot. And uh, um, yeah, okay. We do appreciate your support, um, you know, in whatever form you give it, whether you send us money or whether you shop at Amazon through the link on our website so we get a little commission or uh, share the podcast with your friends or just listening because we're here for you. And Carrie, you want to introduce the last song? Oh, yes. This song is by Rachel Platten, and it's called Fight Song. I just love this song. Her voice is beautiful. It just really 
speaks to me and has brought me to tears as I'm driving to an Al-Anon meeting, the whole time I remember, specifically. And I, yeah, I just really like to play this really loud in the car, sing it as loud as I can, as badly as I can. <laughs> it seems like, I don't know, if I found out that she or whoever wrote the song um, goes to Al-Anon, I would not be surprised. It just seems like, yeah. Like a really good Alan song, um, and specifically for this um, topic of rediscovering ourselves. A few of the lyrics. Like a small boat on the ocean, sending big waves into motion. Like how a single word can make a heart open. I might only have one match, but I can make an explosion. And all those things I didn't say, wrecking balls inside my brain, I will scream them out loud tonight. Can you hear my voice this time? This is my fight song. Take back my life song. Prove I'm all right song. My power's turned on. Started right now, I'll be strong. I'll play my fight song. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.